please stand for the reading of the Lord. Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat and say, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust you in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Psalm 13, 1 through 6. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Lizzie. Amen. Well, my name is Pastor Jaron. I'm the pastor of daycare families and staff here at C1 Naz. And we're just so glad that you've decided to join us this morning. Um, I just love Family Sunday, don't you? We're going to have the kids join us in the service, and they did a good job singing. We just so appreciate Family Sunday, and I just look forward to it every month, and we're glad that you're here today. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking in a couple places, um, but we're going begin, to be beginning in 1 Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 13. So if you wanted to go ahead and flip there, that's where we're spending a majority of our time, um, but you might want to stick a bookmark in there because we'll be kind of flipping around to different um, places today. Um, throughout the past few weeks, we've been going through a sermon series entitled Silent. Silent. And we've been talking about these periods in our lives in which it seems as if God is silent. We've talked about those times in our life where we're praying, where we're calling out to God, and it's almost as if our prayers just seem to be bouncing off the ceiling. It's as if our prayers are just kind of falling upon deaf ears. And, and last week, Pastor Brian asked this question, should we Worry, And we kind of answered that question and, and talked talk about possible reasons for God's silence. But this week I want to ask a different question. This week I want to ask the question, what if God is not silent, but rather we aren't listening? What if God isn't really silent, but the fact of the matter is we haven't simply stopped to listen? I think that there are different factors, different reasons, different things that we do, sometimes even unknowingly, that tend to stop up our ears from hearing what God has to say to us. And in order to kind of talk about this, we're going to be looking at this story in 1 Samuel 13. And I want to kind of give a little bit of background on the verse. 1 Samuel begins with the story of Samuel's birth, and it's, it's, it begins with the story of his mother. And his mother, like uh, uh, some other women in the Old Testament read, read about, is barren. She can't have kids, so she calls out to God and asks God to give her a son. And she says, you know, God, if you give me a son, I'll make sure that my son will live his whole life in your service. I will dedicate him completely to you. Just give me a son. So God answers her prayer, and, and he gives her uh, a baby boy, and she names him Samuel. And so when he comes of age, she eventually hands him over to lifelong service to God. And she gives him to the prophet Eli. And Eli teaches and, 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 and educates Samuel and in in how to be a prophet and how to live a, uh, the life that God has called him to live. But eventually Eli dies and Samuel takes over. And Samuel became, becomes the judge of Israel. This means that he's kind of like the ruler of Israel. And it's during Samuel's time as Israel's judge that the people of God come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. We desire a king like these nations around us. So Samuel say, says, noted, let me take your request to God and I'll get back to you. So he goes back to God and he says, the people want a king. 
And God tells Samuel, you know, you just need to make sure that you tell the people of God, you tell my people, that they make sure they know what they're getting themselves into. If they want a king, they need to understand what that means. So Samuel says, okay. He goes back to the Israelites and he says, listen, I don't, I don't think you guys understand. If you want a king, you have to understand what that means. That means that many of your sons, they're going to be, they're going to be drafted into the army. They're going to be taken into the service. And, and your daughters, you know, the king's going to make them servants. They're going to have to serve them at his table. And, 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 he'll, and the king, he's going to have the power to take away your crops and take your fields and take your livestock. And, and you yourselves, you'll be nothing but slaves to this new king. Like, are you really sure this is what you want? Are you sure you want a king? And the Israelites say, yes, we want a king. So God gives them their king. And, and God leads Samuel to a man named Saul. And scripture tells us that Saul's an, a man of high standing. So Samuel anoints this king Saul. And there's like a hope that maybe this king is finally the one that's gonna lead Israel in the right way. Surely this man is a worthy leader for Israel. And at first, it seems like Saul is a pretty good king. Like he does some good things. He leads the people of God in the right direction. But slowly but surely, throughout the the book of 1 Samuel, Saul begins to become corrupt by his own pride. He begins to lead as he sees fit. He begins to do as he sees fit. And he fails to begin to seek the will of God. And this passage we're going to be looking at this morning in 1 Samuel 13 is kind of what is the beginning of the end of Saul's reign as king of Israel. So let's begin reading in 1 Samuel 13, 5. It says this, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. So here the Israelites are, and the enemy is assembling to battle Israel. And, and the numbers here, if you read in the scripture, are just like crazy. It, scripture tells us that there's 3,000 chariots with like two guys in each. And in ancient Israel, a chariot might as well have just been like a World War II tank. Like these were a big deal. One per, like one chariot could take down dozens and dozens of foot soldiers, and they had 3,000 of them. And not only that, but, but Scripture tells us that the Philistines had uh, the amount of soldiers that were equal to the number of sands on the seashore. There was an innumerable amount of people. You couldn't even count how many soldiers they had. But then if we look at Saul's army, how many people does he have? He only has about 3,000 men, and they certainly don't have any chariots. They were extremely outnumbered. So scripture tells us that all of the Israelites, except for Saul's army, began to hide and flee, and they hid in caves and cisterns and and pits and thickets. But let's continue reading in verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So scripture doesn't give us too many details on what's happening up to this point, but it's clear that Samuel told Saul, he said, wait seven days and I'll be there on the seventh day. day." But on the seventh day, it's clear that Saul begins to grow impatient. So look what he does. Saul's impatient, Samuel's not there, and it says, so Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. 
Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. And Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at a set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the bird offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. So there you have it. This is the beginning of the end of, Saul, uh, of Saul's reign. And what went wrong? I think that the reason that we can look at this story and when it comes to the, uh, when we talk about God being silent, I think that in a sense, Saul was experiencing the silence of God. The enemy is trudging up to Saul's doorstep. All of his people have fled and God's mouthpiece, Samuel, the man who was supposed to speak for God is nowhere to be found. Saul is experiencing the silence of God. But I think that we can look at this story and we can see that, that what can so easy, we can look at Saul and see what can so easily deafen us to the voice of God. There were multiple factors here that caused Saul to be deaf to the voice of God in this crucial moment. But I don't just want to look at Saul's story. I want to take Saul's story, and I want to take what Saul did in this story, and I want to compare it to someone else. If Saul got it wrong in this case, if he failed to hear God in a crucial moment, then let's look at someone who did, did it right, who when faced with God's silence did the right thing. It's just a few chapters later that Saul's disobedience uh, continues to grow and Samuel anoints the next king of Israel. God points him to a man named David and it, scripture tells us that David is a man after God's own heart and after being anointed by Samuel, David enters Saul's service and, and he kills Goliath um, but then Saul begins to grow fearful and jealous of David, so he eventually tries to kill him. And scripture tells us all about Saul's pursuit of David and, and David running away from the danger that was Saul. Um, but over the course of his life, King David wrote some of the Psalms that we find in the book of Psalms. And one of those I want to look at today is <clears throat> Psalm 13. And it's with this Psalm of David that I want to look at, and I want to contrast how David acts in this Psalm to how Saul reacted in 1 Samuel 13. So if you'll flip to Psalm 13, we're gonna, we're gonna be looking at this scripture to see how David reacts in Psalms of Silence. Psalm 13 says this, How long, Lord, how long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And you may even just see this the first reading through that. You may even begin to see the difference between how David is reacting in these periods of silence. And it's kind of obvious that David is experiencing silence in this passage. Just what he's saying, he's saying, how long? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my own thoughts? David is experiencing silent 
God. And I think that he too is growing impatient. But let's put David and Samuel side by side and let's look at their stories and see the differences between their reactions to a silent God. So let's look at, at Saul's story first. In 1 Samuel 5, it lists how big the Philistine army is and, and how, how scary they are and how the Hebrews had ran off and hid. But then but look at, at verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So we see here in this verse that God may not have been silent, but instead I think that Saul was deafened by his circumstances. I think that Saul sees this innumerable Philistine army on the horizon. He sees his people scattering. He sees, he sees his men shaking in their boots. And the impossibility of his circumstances begin to deafen Saul to the voice of God. All that he can see, all that he can hear, all that he can think about, all that he can process is the impossibility of his situation, is this army that's marching up to his front door. And when it seemed like Samuel would never come with the word of the Lord, when it seemed like God was silent, Saul allowed fear to creep in to his heart. He allowed himself to be overwhelmed by the impossibility of his situation. He allowed himself to be deafened by that supposed doom that was coming his way. And all of this just kept him from hearing the voice of God. How many times do we do the same? How many times have we allowed the greatness of our circumstances to overwhelm us? How many times have we let fear just swallow us whole? How many times have we just allowed this troubling situation that we're going through feel like every waking thought, every waking moment, we can't sleep, we can't eat because we're just so focused on the difficulties that we're facing? And the problem with this is that we, like Saul, can allow this to fill every waking moment and we're just so overcome with our situation that we are deafened to the voice of God. And the fact of the matter is that we still may be praying about it. Like we still may be calling out to God on behalf of our situation, but we haven't really given it over to him. We've allowed it to weigh us down and overwhelm us that we never can hear his reply. We are so deafened by our circumstances that God appears silent. In contrast to the way that Saul reacted in this scripture, I want to look at how David responds in this Psalm 13. David is the king that follows just right after Saul. And many times if you look at scripture, if Saul does one thing, David's going to do the complete opposite. So let's look at what David does. He's filled with sorrow. He's crying out, how long, God? Why aren't you answering me? Where are you? But then he says this in verse 6. He says, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. That's what David says. David's saying, you know what, I feel overwhelmed. The enemy's on my front door. I feel like I could die. I don't know what's going on. I'm just so overwhelmed, but I will sing praises because God is still good. God's been good to me. That's what David's saying. You see, the difference between Saul and the difference between David is that Saul was overwhelmed by his circumstances, but David was renewed by his remembrance. David remembered the God that he served. And it's clear from this passage that, that David felt overwhelmed, and he, he may have felt overcome, but he didn't let it stop him from hearing the voice of God. Instead, he chose to remember all that God had done. He decided to look back on his life, and he chose to remember time and time and time again that God had proven faithful 
to him. I like to think that as David, even though he was overwhelmed, as he was penning these words, I like to think that he was thinking back to that time that he stood toe to toe with that giant that day. And I like to think that he remembered how God brought him out of that. And I like to think that maybe as he was writing those words, he was thinking back to the times that God had provided for him when he was running away from Saul and Saul was ready to kill him. Or I'm sure that he was remembering the, the, the number of battles that we read about in Scripture where God came alongside the Israelites with David leading them into battle and provided for them again and again and again. David says, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm going to do, but God, you have been good to me. And I choose to remember that. The Lord, and, and the thing is, like the Lord has helped Saul many times in Scripture. The Lord had helped Saul too. If you read about Saul's life, there's story after story about how God had provided for Saul. Even Saul's testimony is just a beautiful passage of scripture about how God had been with Saul and spoke to Saul. And, and, and what a difference it would have made in this scripture if Saul would have just taken the time to stop and remember how God had been with him, how God had been good to him, how God had provided for him. But instead, Saul was overwhelmed. Whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, many times we can just find calm by stopping and just simply remembering, remembering how God had been there for us, how God had helped us, how God had provided. We can't allow our circumstances to deafen us, but instead we have to pray to God, God, I remember what you've done. I remember how you provided. I still believe that you are good, and I believe that when you help me back there, Lord, that you're still going to help me today. You've been faithful in the past, and you're going to be faithful Again, I think that many times when we just choose to remember, there's something inside of us that begins to stir, stir. When we begin to remember what God's doing, has done in our lives, I think that our hearts become more tender to what God has to say to us. I think there's a hope that builds inside of us when we remember that God has worked in the past, and you know what, he's gonna do it again. I believe that this morning. When Annie and I were dating, um, we like to frequent a bookstore called McKay's. Some of you might have heard that. And it was actually the first place I took her to on our first date. And uh, since then, she's forgiven me for that fact. But that's where we went on our first date. And I like to go there pretty often. I remember one time I went to, to McKay's and, and I was kind of looking through the books. And I found a book that was called The Circle Maker. And you've probably heard about this book. Maybe you've even read it yourself. But I remember Dad had told me about how good it was and how I needed to read it. So I decided to pick it up that day. And I read it, and I, and I loved it, and I remember that there's a story in there, and, and it's a story about the same prophet, Samuel, that we read about in this passage, but it's just a few chapters before, and it's when Samuel, he's, he's a judge for the Israelites, and, and he's leading them into a battle against the same Philistine army, and the circumstances are very similar. The, the Philistine army is huge, and the Israelites are not, and, and God, and he, so Samuel prays to God, he says, God, you got to help us here, we don't know what we're going to do. And so God sends like a thundering crash and it sends the Philistine army scattering because they're filled with fear and the Israelites won the battle that day. But it was what happened after that battle that always stuck with me. Samuel, he finds this big rock and he sets it on the ground and he names this rock Ebenezer, which means stone of help. And when he sets it onto the ground, he says these words. He says, thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far the Lord has helped us. And those words stuck with me, and I gave that book to Annie to read, and, and she read through it, and she loved that story too, and, and those words uh, resonated with her as well. And, and so these words have always just meant so much to me and Annie, and Kendra painted that painting that you saw there on the screen, and that's hanging up in our dining room now, because that, those words just mean so much to us. And the reason they mean so much to us is that 
no matter what we're going through, no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter it, whether, it's, whether it's friends that have betrayed us or, or family situations or whatever's going on in our lives, no matter how difficult it gets, me and Annie can look at this painting. We can point back to this passage of Scripture and we can say, you know what? It may be bad now. And things may look pretty grim right now, but you know what? Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. You know what? It looks pretty bad right now, but don't you remember when God helped us back then, Annie? She says, Jaron, don't you remember when God provided for us back then? Don't you remember how he blessed us, how he was there for us, how he never left us? Why do we think it's gonna be any different now? And it's in those moments when me and Annie chose to just stop and think and remember that God has helped us time and time again. Our, our ears were finally open to what God was having to say to us in the midst of our difficult situations. All because we chose to stop and simply choose to remember. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. I just encourage you even now just to take a second and just begin to remember those past times in your life when God helped you, when he provided for you. Think about those different uh, relationships, situations that you went through where you never thought things could get any better but God offered reconciliation into those instances. Or, or think about those times when the checkbook just wasn't lining up and the bank account was running low but God provided week after week, day after day for you. Think about those times that God was with you when no one else was. Just choose to remember those times. We can't let our circumstances deafen us to what God is saying, but instead we have to be renewed by our remembering this morning. Continuing on, not only was Saul deafened by his circumstances, but it's clear that he was also deafened by his impatience. If you look at verse 10, this is from the NLT, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? And Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. And I chose to read this portion from the New Living Translation because you can just hear the frustration, the aggravation and the impatience in Saul's words in this translation. Look what he says, he says, you didn't arrive when you said you would. It's clear from this verse that, that, that Saul is attempting to pass the blame off on Samuel. That he's attempting to blame Samuel. But the fact of the matter is that at the heart of Saul's actions was that he was too impatient to wait for God to work. Saul was keeping God constrained to his own personal timetable. Saul's kind of tapping his watch and telling God that he's running late. I think that too often with God, sometimes we do the very same thing. Have you ever put a timeline on God? Like, God, if you don't answer this prayer by this certain day or, or this time, then, then we're gonna have issues. Or God, like, the bills are coming due at the end of the month, and if you don't provide then, I don't know what we're gonna do. Or, or God, I really need you to work in this situation by next week. I mean, do you ever put God on a timetable? Do you ever put God on a deadline? Because sometimes we grow impatient with God. Sometimes we feel the pressure of time running out. We begin to feel the weight of the deadline on our shoulders. Or sometimes we're just simply sick and tired of waiting upon God. But one way or another, we grow impatient with God. And it's that same impatience and aggravation that we feel when waiting upon God that can tend to deafen us to hear what he is saying. 
and in our life that, 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 same, that same impatience that we feel, it's that same impatience that we feel against God can tend to stop up our ears and not let us hear how God is speaking, even in the midst of our situation. So we've looked at Saul. He's impatient. But let's look at what David does. Where is he at? Remember, he's crying. His cry at the beginning of the psalm is, how long? How long will you ignore me? How long will you forget me? Like, just in those words, it's very, very clear that David was growing very impatient. And the temptation for him is to allow this temptation to deafen him to God's voice, just like Saul did. But look what he chooses to do instead. Verse five, but I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust in your unfailing love. David wasn't deafened by this impatience that he was feeling, but instead he was renewed by his trust. He was renewed by his trust. God was taking a long time in David's life. He's saying, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. I, I feel like you've left me. I'm overwhelmed. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I feel like I, would just, I could just die. I, I don't know where you are. I don't know why you're, why you're not speaking, but I choose to trust in your unfailing love. I will trust in your unfailing love love. It's clear from this passage that David was struggling with impatience. He was growing impatient. But David made the conscious decision that despite the difficulties that he was facing, despite his circumstances, his doubts, and his fears, he was going to choose to trust in the God who saw him through every single circumstance that he faced time and time again. He chose to trust in God. And sometimes our situation is similar to David's. We don't know why God isn't speaking, but we're just so filled with fear and sadness, and, and we too are just crying out to God, like, how much longer, God? Where are you? How long? And it seems like our life is just so chaotic, and it seems like we're just drifting off to sea on a paper boat, but we have to make the choice that even though life doesn't make any sense, and even though life is scary, and even though life is hectic, we choose to hold fast and trust in God who will see us through. We have to make that decision today, and I, I believe that sometimes Trust just has to be a choice that we make. Sometimes trust just has to be a choice. I think that sometimes life can just get so crazy and so hectic that we just have to stop and say, you know what, God, I trust in you. I trust in you. Sometimes we just have to push through the pain and the fear and the doubt and push through the unknown and we have to decide that we're going to trust in God. And I just love how the message puts it. Look what the message says. It says, but I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. That's how the message translates that. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. No holds barred, nothing held back. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you aren't speaking, but I choose to throw myself headlong into your arms and simply trust in you. It's in that trust. It's in that clinging to God in the midst of our situation, that we aren't deafened by our situation anymore, but instead our ears can begin to be open to what God is saying, and our eyes can be open to see how he is moving. A while back, when I was, uh, quite a while back, when I was uh, 16, I got my driver's license. And I'm, I'm sure many of you remember the time you first got your driver's license, but before then I had my permit, and my parents um, had to be in the car with me in order for me to drive. So, and I was pretty confident in my driving skills before I got my license. I thought I was a pretty good driver. I uh, didn't have any issues. But there was one thing that I could never quite get down, and that was parallel parking. Does anybody else have that problem? I just can't parallel park. Will you admit that this morning? I could not parallel park. Um, but I kind of just decided, you know what? 
it's okay, I'll still go take the test. Um, I'll, I'll probably still pass even though I can't parallel park. Not a huge deal. And so um, I went and I took the written test first, and I was pretty confident in that as well. I'd been studying, and so I went in. I took the test. I turned it in. The lady graded it. She handed it back, and I had failed. Um, so then I had to go back the next day and take it again, and, and I passed. So we were good there. So then we scheduled the driver driving portion for the next week. And so we scheduled it. A week went by. We went back over there, and... Um, we went out to the car, and the lady that was taking the driver's test, uh, who was doing the driver driving test, she was sitting in the passenger seat, and we, we set off. <clears throat> and at first, everything was fine. Um, no issues. I thought we were, we were having a nice little drive, and we were kind of talking, and everything was going well. I uh, hadn't gotten any points, nothing against me yet. So um, we got to the point where she said, you know what, I want you to parallel park behind that car. And there was just one car sitting there. So I was like, parallel par- park behind one car? That seems easy. So I'll just go ahead and do that. And so I pulled up beside the uh, parked car, and I began to back up. And all of a sudden, I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden I was in the middle of someone's yard. And that's just as simple as that. <clears throat> well, come to find out, whenever I was pulling back, reversing to parallel park, my back tire hit the curb of the sidewalk, and instead of hitting the gas, or instead of hitting the brake, I hit the gas, and I flew through someone's fence and ended up about two feet from their front front door. <clears throat> and so I looked over at the lady who was doing the test, and I said, "So I guess that means I fail." And she said, "Yeah." And uh, what's even more funny was to come to find out that was her first day, so kind of uh, started her off right there. Um, so, but like. I was so disappointed because, like, you had to wait a whole other month before you could take this driver's test again. I was thought for sure I was going to have my license when I left there that day. Um, but I was super disappointed. And to be quite honest, I was actually, like, fearful to get behind the wheel again because I, I didn't know what happened. I was kind of afraid to get behind the wheel. And I remember that day was a Friday. And so the next morning, it was a Saturday, I remember Dad came into my room, and he woke me up, and he said, Hey, you want to go to Half Price Books? And if you know me, you know those are my three favorite words, half-price books. So we were going. We were on the way. So I was like, yeah, sure, I, I'm going to, I would love to go to half-price books. Let's go. So I got up and got ready, and he's like, oh, yeah, and you're driving. And it was then that, like, all that fear and anxiety came back into me, and I was like, now, now, oh, I have pictures. That's the fence I knocked down. And then that, that's mom's car, so you can kind of see. That'll buff right out. No problem. It's fine. Um, so that's the car, and I was like, Dad, you saw what I did to Mom's car. Like, are you sure you want me to drive your truck? And he said, yeah, you're going to drive us to Half Price Books. And it was then that I remembered that Half Price Books is in Louisville. And if, you were, if you've ever driven through Louisville, you know that everybody just, like, drives, like, super crazy. They're super fast drivers. So then I was like, there's no way I'm driving to Louisville. But then Dad said, no, you know, yeah, you're driving. Get up, let's go. I said, yep, gets ready. So I got, I got ready, and and, and we stepped outside, and Dad handed me the keys, and he could see that I was still, you know, not really sure about this whole thing. And so, you know, he said, he just said, you know what, it'll be fine. Like, I'll be right there in the passenger seat. You don't have to worry about anything. We'll get there okay. And so we started off on the drive, and we made it to Half Price Books, spent way too much money, and came back with no issue. And can I tell you this morning that, that while my dad's words didn't necessarily help how I felt, like I still felt scared, and I still felt anxious, and I still was unsure I had to make a decision in that moment. I had to make the decision. And I'm going to sit here at home and just like sit there in my fear and failure and just live there. Or am I going to step out in the midst of this chaos that is driving 
in Louisville? Am I going to step out and just choose to trust that dad knows what he's doing? Am I going to choose to trust that no matter what happens, no matter how crazy it gets, no matter how much fear I feel, that dad is going to be sitting in the passenger seat just in case anything happens? Am I going to choose to trust in him? And too many of us, we've just stayed content with just staying at home and living in that fear and the failure that we feel. And we've just chosen just to become defeated by our circumstance and overwhelmed by those circumstances. But what God is saying to us this morning is just, just choose to trust in me. Just choose to trust in me. Even though everything is going wrong, even though life is crazy, even though I don't quite know all the pieces, God, I choose to trust in you this morning. Finally, not only can we be deafened by our circumstances but, and be deafened by our impatience, but we can also be deafened by our pride. Look at what Saul says in verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear, and he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. And so he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. So when Samuel fails to show up, Saul takes matters into his own hands. And I think that it's clear here that this was just more than an impatience issue, but instead it was a pride issue. Just look at what Saul says. He says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship's offering. I could do what Samuel can't do. I'm here right now. Let's get this finished. Saul's pride put him on par with the great prophet Samuel. Anything Samuel can do, I can do better. That's what Saul was thinking. And I think it's kind of funny what happened here because I just imagine that, that Saul was the one that set up the offering ready for Samuel. Like he got it all ready, ready for Samuel to come and give the burnt offering. But as time began to tick by, I think that Saul's head got bigger and bigger. And it was pride that caused Saul to take back that which he had originally set aside for Samuel. Saul takes back what he had given over because of his pride. And so often I think that we do much of the same. We put things in God's hands for a little while just to see if he works. We give things over to God, but then we're standing there right nearby ready to snatch it back just in case God messes it up or just in case God takes too long. We're ready to take it right back. Why? I think that a majority of it is because of our pride. We feel like we know what's best. We feel like we know the answers. If God's going, not going to work, then I'm just going to do it myself. I think that so often, so many of our biggest problems and most troubling circumstances tend to be grounded in pride. It's all about what happens to me, all about how I'm treated, what's unfair to me, a decision I need to make. And that all makes sense because like, they are our problems after all. But the danger that we tend to face is that because they are our problems, that means that they are prime planting ground for the enemy to plant the seed of pride in our hearts. We can become so focused on our difficult situation that pride comes to the forefront of our minds. I think that so many of us, including me, if I'm honest, if we just look at our thought process on our daily lives, what does it look like? If you're like me, many times our thoughts are like this, like what should I do? Why don't they like me? What do they think about me? What do I say? Why me? Why can't I do anything right? So much of our energy day in and day out is just focused where? It's right here at ourselves. And that's a hard, hard trap to climb out of. It's difficult. But I think that David gives us a little hint at how we can get out of this trap 
of pride and battle the sin that it is. Look at Psalm 13 again. All these things are going on. How long must I wait in silence? But then David says this. But I trust in your unfailing of. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I think that David may have even caught himself falling into this trap of pride. When he was overwhelmed by life's decisions, he saw that maybe pride was coming to the forefront. But what did he do to combat against it? While Saul was deafened by his pride, David was renewed by his praise. He ends his prayer in this psalm with a praise. God, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I sing your praise because you've been good to me. Even in the midst of his difficulty, David praises God. Why does he do that? I think that that even in the midst of the hardest circumstances that David was facing, when it felt like he was going to be overwhelmed, he realized that God was still good, that God had not left, and that even though David was at the end of the line, even though he came to a breaking point, even though he came to a crisis point, he felt like he had two choices. He's like, either I can take this problem on my own, I can face it by myself, I can take it into my own hands, or I can give it over to Yahweh. God of the universe, who's helped me time and time again. Whose hands are it better suited in? Mine are God's. So he praises God, even despite his circumstances. He trusts that God is still near, even though he feels like God is far away. Even though fear is crippling him, he believes that God is still alive and working. This is how David combats the pride that can so easily enter our, our hearts in times of trouble. This pride that says, you know what, you can do better on your own. You can take back the reins and just finish this thing. Get it over with. You could could do better if you just handled it. Why don't you just offer up that burnt offering on your own? But David fights that temptation by simply praising God. Because if if trouble fertilizes the seed that is pride, then praise is the pruning shears that cuts it away. How long can I think that I'm able to control my problem when I'm praising the God of the universe? How can I think about retaking control when I'm praising the God who can do more than I could ask or imagine? How can I worry about my circumstances when I'm praising a God who loves me and who cares for me, who's, who's provided for me? God, you're still good in the midst of my silence. You're still on the throne. You're still almighty. You're still able. Praise cuts the pride out of our hearts. When we praise a big God, we begin to feel so humble and we begin to feel so small and we begin to realize that we can't do that much, but we're praising a God who can. Praise is able to bring us to a place of total surrender and total humility. And it's there that we can begin to hear the voice of God in times of silence. And so that's it. We've reached the end of the silence series. And I think that there may be some of you in this room who are still battling those, those seasons in your life of silence. Maybe you're going through one right now, and maybe you've come every week hoping that God's voice will resume in your life. And, and maybe these messages have warmed your heart a little bit, but you're still sitting here thinking like, man, like God still hasn't answered my prayer. He still hasn't listened to me. I still don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe you're discouraged and ready to give up. But I want to encourage you today. Will you just begin to do what David did? Don't allow yourself to be deafened by the circumstances you face. Don't allow your, the impossible begin to distract you from how God is speaking. But instead, would you just remember how God has helped you in the past? 
Will you just be reminded that you serve a God of the impossible, that he hasn't let you down, that God is still good. And don't allow yourself to be deafened by this noise of impatience. Don't let the ticking clock and the impending deadline deafen you from how God is trying to speak. But, but instead, would you just, just uh, trust in him and allow him to begin speaking to you? And don't let pride begin to enter your heart in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Don't allow the focus to turn to yourself. But would you just simply sit back and praise God? Just praise God because he is still on the throne. He's still good. And he's still in control. Would you just praise God because he is greater than your problems are. And your problems are better suited in his hands than your own. Don't be deafened, but instead would you just praise and remember and trust. And allow God to open your ears to how he is speaking. Last time I was on this stage, you might have remembered I had an object with me. That may have been a weed eater. And I've heard a lot of you guys that have commented about that. I haven't quite heard the end of it, but that's okay. Um, We've, we've, I talked about a weeder last week. Is it okay if I do another lawn care illustration? Is that okay? I mean, that's just kind of where me and Annie are living right now, so it's just kind of fitting that I just do another one. So we moved into this new house, you might remember, and um, Annie's been doing a lot of yard work um, in our new house. She's been doing a lot of gardening. She likes to do that kind of stuff. Um, she's planted some, you know, some tomatoes and some grapes and some green onions and stuff like that. Um, but there is one thing that's been the bane of Annie's existence ever since we moved into this house, and it's this. It's these gross bushes that you see in this picture. So we were told, they kind of look like that, and we were told that if you cut them back, they'd grow back green, but then they kind of grew back half green and half dead, so we didn't really, not really sure what we were supposed to do with them. So one day, Annie woke up, and she decided, you know what? I'm just going to pull these things up and plant rose bushes instead. It would look a lot better. So I remember Annie, she called me, and she said, she said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Lowe's, I'm going to buy a shovel, and I'm going to pull up those, those bushes. And I said, oh, that's great, that's, that's a good idea, you should do that. I appreciate you taking the initiative and choosing to do that. So she goes and buys this shovel at Lowe's. And she begins, so she goes back home, and she gets to work. So she takes this shovel, she goes at the first bush, and she pries it up, and she's able to really uh, get it out of there, and she's able to move all the stuff out of the way, and throw it all away, and put a rose bush in. So then she goes to the second one, she pries it up, and she's able to get it all away and throw it all away, and then she's able to put a rose bush in there. And then I get a call while I'm at work. And then he says, uh, so you know how I was uh, pulling up those rose bushes today? And I was like, yeah, yeah. She's like, well, I got two of them up. And I was like, you only got two? Aren't there three? She's like, yeah, but then something happened. Something happened to the shovel. <clears throat> I was like, that brand new shovel you just bought today? And she said, yeah, something happened to the shovel. So she broke the shovel going at the third bush. And so I said, you know what, you know, don't worry about it. Maybe I can pull it up the rest of the way when I get home. So Annie said, okay. So she planted the first two rose bushes and kind of waited for me to get home. And so I got home, and, and I noticed that before the shovel bo- broke, Annie was able to pry up that, that bush about halfway. So I kind of grabbed it and manhandled it the rest of the way out of the ground and was able to pull it up um, with little to no effort on my part. Um, Sorry, Annie. But I got home, and, and Annie said, when I pulled up that, that bush, she said, man, I just wish you would have been here, that you weren't at work. Then you could have just pulled them all up um, easier than I, and the shovel wouldn't have broke. And I knew I was going to be preaching this sermon, and, and as I thought about this whole situation, I thought about the fact that too often, due to our impatience, due to our pride, and, and due to the seemingly impossible, impossible situation that we're facing, how often do we, just like Saul, begin to take the shovel in our own hands and just get to work? 
How often do we, when God seems like it's silent, take it into our own hands and begin pulling up the bushes on our own? And the thing is, to Annie, she seemed like she was doing okay. She got those first bushes up with relatively no effort. And many times when we take the shovel into our own hands and we begin to deal with our life's problems on our own, sometimes it seems like it's going okay. But I believe that every time we take the reins back from God and go on our own, there's a crisis point that hits us. There's a breaking point. There's a point where our shovel breaks, when, when life is thrown into chaos, when life goes haywire. But the great thing is, is that Annie was able to step aside and let someone else uproot the bushes. She was able to plant rose bushes there. So, so she was able to make a, what looked like a broken situation turn into something beautiful. I think that there are be, may be some people here this morning that are kind of holding the broken pieces of their shovel. And if they're honest, they're saying, you know what, I've kind of tried it on my own. I've went my own way, and, and it seemed like God was silent, and, I, and so I took the shovel in my own hands, but I've kind of made a mess of things. I've broken the shovel. I let, I let impatience, I let, I let pride get in the way. And I realized that, you know what, it's not going to work anymore. I need God's help. I need God's power in my situation. I need him to come and pull these bushes out of my life. And can I tell you, when we allow God to pull up the bushes in our lives, he can plant something there that's beautiful. God wants to take your broken shovel, your broken, messed up situation that's, that's just so messed up you don't know what to do with it. He wants to take that, and it's not too late. He wants to take that, and he wants to make something beautiful in your life. I know you're in the midst of silence right now, but would you just give God the broken pieces of your shovel this morning. Will you stand with me as we close? And as we kind of end this series on silence, I thought it might be fitting that we kind of just end this period with silence. No longer than a minute. So Pastor Nathan's gonna come and we're just gonna stand in silence for, for just one minute. And it's during this silence that I just don't want you to waste it. Because silence is so rare nowadays. I don't want you to waste it. If you feel like you're holding a broken shovel in your hands, that you've tried to go your own way when God was silent, you let impatience and pride and the circumstances get in the way, will you come to the altar this morning and just give God the broken pieces of your shovel? I feel like this altar is the best and most perfect place for us to come and kneel before God, give him our brokenness, and allow him to plant something beautiful. Will you do that during this silence that we're about to, to sit through? But then there's something else I want you to do as well. It's only gonna be about 60 seconds and it's during this silence that I just want you just to begin to remember. Will you just take this silence and just begin to reflect on how God has helped you in the past. Remember how he's been good to you. Remember how he's been faithful. And then after that, after that period of silence and we're gonna let those who are praying continue to pray. But after that, Nathan's gonna lead us in just a, a short song of praise. Because we've talked about how praise is the way that we can cut out that pride that can so easily come to the forefront. So we're just gonna praise God this morning, is that okay? So right now, as Pastor Nathan comes, we're just gonna take about 60 seconds. And if you'd like to come to the altar and give over your broken pieces of your shovel, feel free to do that. Let's just sit in silence.
pray with me this morning? Julia, Father, we're just so thankful, Lord, for all the many ways that you've helped us thus far, God. As we stood here in silence, Lord, we remember, God, the many ways that you've helped us, and we give you thanks, Lord. Will you help us in these periods of silence, Lord, to unstop our ears and truly begin to hear your voice and see how you work, Lord? Help us to offer up praise to you where praise is due, God. We just give you all the glory and the honor of praise, God. Help us to realize that our problems are better suited in your hands, God. We give those over to you. God, I ask that you begin moving and speaking in our lives, God. Take the broken pieces of our shovel, Lord, and make something beautiful out of it. We love you and we thank you. In your name, amen. Our benediction this morning comes from Psalm 9. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He, he will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. Did you hear that this morning? For the Lord, you have never forsaken those that seek you. Take those words with you today and have a great week. You're dismissed.